Good morning. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier as we reflect on the, um, the gift that the green bean has been and how we've, how we've witnessed over the years God at work through that space, um, I, I am encouraged that God's work is not done yet in us or in this neighborhood. Uh, and there was a reminder of that, actually, just back in October. There was an article in the Seattle Times um, about this couple that own a, an 11-unit apartment building uh, just up the road on just like 97th and Greenwood called the Lundy Apartments, 11 units. Uh, the article was in October, and in November, this couple uh, that they've owned, or it's been in their family, this apartment building, for 50 years. And as Christians, that 50th year, it, it, it reminded them of something. And uh, it reminded them of the Old Testament uh, year of Jubilee. And so they thought, well, what can we do to uh, biblically honor this, uh, this, this biblical principle? How can we love our neighbors? And so they gave everyone in their apartment complex November for free. And they'd slip little notes on a door and, and told them, you don't have to pay rent in November. What you do with your money is up to you. Here's some charities we'd recommend you know, supporting if you'd like to. But uh, it was just November was free. And uh, this article is beautiful. Uh, and I just wanted to read a couple of... Uh, I've never met them. Marty and, uh, or Corey and Mickey, not Marty. Corey and Mickey. Um, Corey certainly has a different philosophy about money than your standard capitalist. He said he views money and all other possessions as being borrowed from God for his use while he's alive. I'm not taking anything with me, he said. The Jubilee year reference that inspired this gift comes from Leviticus 25. This is a Bible lesson in the Seattle Times. I just, like... God is doing something, right? <laughs> Inspired comes from Leviticus 25, and it describes a process whereby slaves would be freed and debts would be forgiven every 50 years in ancient Israel. Corey, who describes himself uh, as, quote, a little bit of a radical Christian. I love that part. He made the modern interpretation to free his tenants of rent, rent payments for a month, figuring it would be a good way to honor both my heavenly father and my earthly father, who, who built the apartments 50 years ago. I've never met them, but I love them, because they are a brilliant example of followers of Christ who have taken this, uh, this biblical principle, um, the, the desire to love their neighbors, and put it into practice in a really creative way. Um, and the power of the forgiveness of debt, uh, especially in our culture right now, carries, that's a powerful thing. And that's what motivated them to creatively uh, live this out in this particular way. The, the green bean has existed as long as it has, uh, due in part to some forgiveness of debt. Uh, early on, when the first version of the five was in existence, was being built out, uh, Hayden, one of our, our original managers, her father, loaned us some money to complete the construction. And... Shortly after I came on staff, and I remember, Randy, I remember the staff meeting where we got the news that he had forgiven that debt. Yeah, it, I mean, the freedom, the freedom and the joy and the gratitude that we experienced in that moment of having this debt forgiven was powerful. We're going to talk about the forgiveness of debt this morning. Uh, Last week, before we do, uh, just a reminder, we were looking at the story of Jesus healing the centurion's slave and how this outsider, this Roman centurion, part of the occupying force in Israel at the time, 
became, for Jesus' disciples, an example of faith. This guy became an example of someone who was living a life of faith. And his faith was demonstrated by his understanding of Jesus' authority, right? He's like, I, I get how authority works, Jesus, and I know that you have the kind of authority where all you have to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, ah, this is faith. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This is faith. Similarly today, we find another example of faith from another outsider. This time, it's a woman who has a reputation. She's known as a sinner, and yet she becomes, like the centurion, a model for Jesus' disciples of what faith looks like in action how she responds with gratitude and with love for her Savior, knowing that her, her debt has been forgiven, her sins have been forgiven. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke 7, starting at verse 36, or open your app, or read along on the screen. This is God's word for us this morning. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Help us to see ourselves in this encounter, in this story. Help us to hear your invitation to a greater faith, to a greater love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. 
Conversely, whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. So what about you? How much have you been forgiven? How much do you love? The Simon, it's not Simon Peter, it's Simon, this other guy, he's a Pharisee. And he lives in a world where uh, you're judged by the company that you keep, right? And part of why you're judged by the company you keep is that someone else's sin reputation, like their stuff, can infect you if they're close by, if they're around you a lot. You can be infected by other people's stuff. Uh, I lived this way in junior high, right? I didn't want to sit with certain kids at lunch because their uncoolness would rub off on me. I wanted to sit with those kids over there that were on the select soccer team because their coolness would rub off on me, or at least would reflect something about maybe I was as cool as them, maybe. That was not true, but that was my hope. <laughs> that, was, that was my thought process. Uh, this, uh, this way of, of, of viewing other people, I think, it, it, it takes different forms, but I think it's, it's in some ways no less true in our culture today and in many cultures around the world. Right? This fear that someone else's stuff can rub off on you by proximity. Um, and I think that there's underneath it, well, well the, the fear can drive that, but I think also pride, right? This sense of, as long as there are people that I can look down on, um, I can feel okay about myself, right? I mean, we can think of all kinds of different um, expressions of racism that express this, where as long as there are people that we can look down on, we can feel better about ourselves. Uh, classism, right? We judge people by the amount of money that they have, and, and I think it's rooted in a similar kind of sense that as long as we can sort of elevate ourselves in our own mind, in our own perspective, we, we feel a little bit better about ourselves. There's a fascinating truth, though, about Jesus. Uh, one, he's clearly never concerned with this. I mean, he eats with everybody. He feasts with the wealthy, with the poor, with the people who, quote-unquote, have a good reputation, and clearly with the people who have a bad reputation. And yet nobody's honor or coolness or sinfulness and uncleanness, none of that rubs off, on, rubs off on him. In fact, it's the other way around, right? With Jesus, those who are in close proximity to him, they kind of catch his holiness and his righteousness. They become carriers of his life. I think we often, in the church, there's this history of, of viewing the world that way, and so we've sought to be separate from the world. We've sought to remove ourselves from the world so that uh, we wouldn't catch what the world has. And so there's been, uh, oftentimes, the church has leaned in towards this separatist mentality, that we've got to stay clean from the world, and the only way to do that is by removing ourselves from it. But what we see in Jesus' life, demonstrated here in this story, uh, is that uh, there is a call to be holy. There is a call to be different and to be separate. But it's a call that, uh, to, to be separate in order to be sent back in, so that the world would catch what we have which is the life of Christ in each one of us. It's a fundamental shift in the way that we think about the people around us. And that was the invitation to, uh, to Simon, the challenge to him, to change this understanding of how they thought God wanted them to live as separate. Um, so Simon, this is, this is funny. There's a number of moments where this happens, right? He's thinking an internal thought. He has an internal monologue. And then Jesus answers him. <laughs> Jesus does this a number of times. And 
you get the sense that like Simon's, <clears throat> he's not aware, right? He, he, he has this thought about, oh, if Jesus is a prophet, he would understand what's going on here, and he wouldn't let this woman touch him. He would keep himself separate. And Jesus is like, I, I've got a story for you. And Simon's like, oh, I love stories. <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, so, and Jesus tells a story with a very simple but profound point. Right? These two people who owe this man a, a, a sum of money, um, different sums of money, both of which are forgiven. And he, there's some irony in this story because a denarius is a, it's a day's wages. And so the, both sums of money that are forgiven here are actually pretty substantial. I mean, one's really substantial. It's about a year and a half salary. But the other is two months salary, which is not nothing. Right? So both of them are substantial amounts that are forgiven. Um, and, and yet, uh, the, the invitation at the end of this for Simon is to see in himself, or to see himself as in just as much need of forgiveness as this woman. Right? The invitation is for Simon to kind of rec- recognize himself in the woman. And this woman is, um, this, this image, one of the things that I love about this image, this is by Rubens, um, is her single-minded devotion, right? There's all this stuff going on around her, um, and she is so focused on Christ. She's just, she's probably not oblivious to the murmurings, you know? I mean, she's probably aware people are muttering about her, but her devotion and her attention is solely focused on Christ. She doesn't speak a word in this entire interaction, yet her life preaches, right? Her response is emotional, it's physical, it is whole person devotion to Christ. To Christ, This response of love, offering her body, her tears, her hair, offering her resources, this expensive perfume. She just wants to pay attention to Jesus because she's found something there that she hasn't found anywhere else. This acceptance, this forgiveness. No shame, no shunning. And Jesus receives her adoration. He doesn't stop her, which is an interesting thing to note because uh, there are a number of places in the Old Testament where other people are worshipped as God. Um, Four, particularly in Acts, that are interesting to look at. Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, all at one point or another, are worshipped in the book of Acts. And each of them, very quickly, they're quick to say, like, no, 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 just a human, not God. Right? They're very quick to respond that way. Um, in Acts 12, King Herod, not so much. Uh, he is being worshipped. The, the people are surrounding him after he's spoken, and they're saying, oh, we've heard the voice of a god among us. They're kind of trying to butter him up. Um, and uh, Luke, again, Luke wrote his gospel and Acts. He, he, uh, he notes this. The, uh, the people shouted, this is the voice of God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died, which has probably got to be the worst death possible. <laughs> that contrast is noteworthy, right? And, and Luke, so Luke is writing all, this, all of this after the fact. And, and I think that this would have been a noteworthy thing, that someone was uh, worshiping Jesus, and he didn't stop them. He received it. And he recognizes in this woman's devotion and her attention and her love, he recognizes an act of faith. 
an act of faith that is in response to the forgiveness that she's received. She understands that in Jesus, she's not seen primarily as a sinner, but she's seen as a, as a daughter of the king. And her, her gratitude just overflows in tears and perfume and hair and love. So at the end of this whole interaction, Jesus draws some strings together for us. Sin and debt and forgiveness and faith and peace. He kind of brings all of these things together as he tells the story, as he highlights this woman's actions, and as he interacts directly with her and tells her that her sins are forgiven. Which is not to say that her sins aren't really that many and aren't really that bad. No, Jesus sees and knows the depth of her sin. Nowhere is, is her reputation disputed, right? People know what kind of woman she is. Um, but Jesus says, you are forgiven. And, and the forgiven in the Greek here has this, this notion of release, of, of freedom. You're freed from your sins. They've bound you like chains, but you are released from them, freed from guilt, freed from shame, but also released from your primary identity as a sinner, right? This is how everyone sees you. I mean, Luke makes that comment, right? She comes in, and everybody knows what kind of woman she was. Reputation precedes her. And Jesus says, actually, they're they're wrong. They're wrong about your identity. It's not primarily as a sinner. It is primarily as a daughter of the king. And so you're freed from your sin, and you're freed to go forth in peace, to not have to sin anymore, freed from the the dominion that sin has had over you, no longer bound. Right? And this sense of peace, whenever we read this in the Bible, it's not just this lack of, uh, this, this lack of conflict, but it's this sense of wholeness, of shalom. She's been restored by Christ. This story, uh, like many in the Bible, just kind of ends. Um, we, we are left um, not knowing how Simon, the Pharisee, responds. Jesus tells him this story. And he helps connect the dots for him. I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty clear on connecting the dots with this woman and the forgiveness of debts and the forgiveness of sin. Uh, and I, I, I love that because I think it invites us into that same place. We're left uh, with the example of this woman uh, and the invitation to see ourselves in her and the invitation to check ourselves with how we treat those around who we might think of as as not quite as good as we are. Is is our sin really that minimal? Or is our sin, like this woman and like every human, deeper actually than we thought it was? Have we been infected actually more than we were aware of by sin? Has it really permeated more of us than we thought? I think Jesus would say yes. But also... Is his grace and his forgiveness deeper even still than we had dared hope? Yes. Then there's the guests. 
And they're left with the question, who is this that even forgives sin? Right? The implication there is, oh, you know, it's one thing if Jesus miraculously heals somebody. But when you say your, your sins are forgiven, you're, you're saying something about who you are that we're not sure we're okay with. You're talking about something that only God can do. And Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> That's the point. Right? Every time that Jesus heals, and he, he often does this in his interactions, he, he'll heal someone, and it's amazing, it's miraculous. And then he says, your sins are forgiven, and that's when people freak out, because they know that he's claiming something about his identity. He's claiming to be God in the flesh, and to have the authority to do something that only God can do, to forgive sins. And he does it. He just forgives sin left and right, and that's what's so radical and what the good news is. He just hands it out, left and right, <laughs> to all these people that shouldn't get it, right? They're not the proper, it's not, they're not the Pharisees. They're not the people that look good. It's the, it's the outsiders. It's, but it's the people who know their need. It's the people who are aware of their sin, who know their need for a Savior. And then finally, there's the woman. We, uh, she never speaks, right? We don't know what happens to her later on in But Jesus turns towards her, directs his attention at her, just like she's been directing all of her attention at him. And he assures her of her forgiveness. And he acknowledges that in her lavish devotion of love, he sees an act of faith. And he assures her that her salvation is in him, and it's complete, and she has it. And finally, he sends her in peace, in wholeness. Each week when we come together, uh, there's a way in which we try to relive this interaction um, through something that worship leaders and pastors, uh, and, and you might see this if you went to a more formal church and looked through the bulletin, but through what we would call a confession and assurance of pardon. And these two things always go together in an order of service um, because uh, well, because this is how Jesus operates. This is uh, the invitation to recognize in ourselves uh, the depth of our sin, that it truly has touched every part of our lives. Uh, there, there's a, a prayer we're going to pray here uh, in a little bit about how we have sinned in word, thought, and deed by what we have left, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. Like it is just pervasive. We acknowledge that, but we don't stay there. Uh, And what comes after that is what Jesus uh, gives to this woman, which is the assurance of pardon. It's this reminder. It's not even just a reminder. It's this confidence that your sin has been removed, as Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far your sin has been removed. So what does her response look like in our lives. This single-minded devotion to Christ, unaffected by the opinions of those around her, what does that look like for us? Maybe what's stirring within you this morning is this draw towards the intimacy of her devotion, this sense of this single-minded paying attention to Christ and this draw towards just finding this alone space in your life, this time where you can be quiet, where you can be in prayer, where you can be in the scriptures, devoting, being devoted to Christ. 
Maybe, maybe that's what the Spirit is stirring in you. Maybe you're inspired by the boldness of her public witness, right? Unmoved by cultural expectations, unmoved by other people's opinions of her. She is solely focused on Christ, but is very public about it. Perhaps that's what's inspiring you this morning. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you simply need to hear the words of Jesus, what he speaks to this woman. Your sins are forgiven. I have seen your faith, and it demonstrates the the sureness of your salvation. You are saved in me. So, go. Go in peace, in wholeness, in integralness, in shalom.